Aren't you going to wait and greet the great pumpkin? Huh? It won't be long now. If the great pumpkin comes, I'll still put in a good word for you. Good grief. I said if. I meant when he comes. I'm doomed. One little slip like that can cause the great pumpkin to pass you by. Oh, great pumpkin, where are you? Hello and welcome to the Happy Halloween Podcast. My name is Tony and I will be your host and this is your home for all things Halloween. Welcome to this very special bonus... I can't lie. This was my live episode from Chestnuts and Pearls last Friday, except for the fact that I forgot to hit record. So, I am re-recording this as a regular episode, so I hope you enjoy. Also, you may notice things sound a little different. Uh, if you didn't hear my bonus episode on Saturday where I discuss everything, uh, I currently am down in my back. I've got an, a back injury that requires epidurals, and thanks to the insurance company, I'm a few weeks behind, so I can't really stand up for very long. So, I'm sitting at my desk in the living room. You might be able to hear the wind chimes outside, and there's a nice fall breeze out there. Uh, You might hear my dog, but right now he's asleep, so maybe he'll stay that way. Uh, Also, real quick before we get started, uh, if you didn't listen to that bonus episode, I have decided to wait until for Season 3 to start until Halloween. So, at the end of this month, I'm taking a break until April. Um... Honestly, you know, uh, like I said in that other episode, I'm burnt out. Um, I'm working two jobs. So I just really haven't been able to give it my all lately. So hopefully come April, things will be bigger and better than ever. I've got two cool surprises already uh, that I'm working on. So please be patient with me and join me back in April after this month. So let's get to the episode. So as I told my live audience the other night, typically on my bonus episodes, I always just kind of do one topic. Um, But since I was doing something special, I kind of did the format of a regular episode, but kind of not. You'll see what I mean. So first up, let's throw it over to the professor of playlists, the mad scientist of mixtapes, Bob Baker, with this special edition of the Halloween Minute. Take it away, Bob. Why, thanks, Tony. I love a live show. I wanted to be there so bad. But instead, I am just broadcasting from my local spirit store. I'm crouching here among the decorations. The staff is looking at me weirdly, but it's still pretty scary. For today's special selection for the Halloween Minute, we needed a song that is both festive and spooky. A ghostly party anthem for your outstanding audience there. So I reached back to my compilation from 2018 
for a tune that is fun and quirky. It's a dark ditty called Spookarama by the Circus Contraption. This was a band that performed as a gothic circus, vaudeville, and cabaret troupe based in Seattle, Washington. They played original music surrounded by a sinister spectacle and toured around the U.S. to sold-out venues. As you will hear, the band is influenced by circus and gypsy music. This track is quirky and haunting, but layered with goofy charm as it is played on old-time music instruments. I do have to note that although the circus contraption disbanded in 2009, their two founders were killed in a random shooting in a Seattle cafe in 2012. It was a sad and tragic end, but let's celebrate their absolute love for all things dark and creepy. Happy Halloween! Spookarama by Circus Contraption. Thank you so much, Bob. I hope you have a spectacular Halloween. Halloween, with its dimly lit streets and the whispering rustle of fallen leaves, is a night steeped in mystery and ancient traditions, where the supernatural takes center stage. Among the many rituals and customs that define this haunted holiday, the telling of ghost stories stands out as a cherished tradition. On this edition of Hallow Lore, we will delve into the reasons why ghost stories are told on Halloween, exploring the historical, cultural, and psychological underpinnings of this eerie tradition. The tradition of telling ghost stories on Halloween, much like all Halloween traditions, finds its roots in the ancient festival of Samhain. To appease the spirits and ward off malevolent entities, people would gather around bonfires and share tales of the supernatural. As Christianity spread, All Hallows' Eve merged with Samhain. The tradition of storytelling persisted, 
transforming into an integral part of Halloween celebrations. Throughout history, various cultures around the world have shared a belief in the thinning of the veil between the living and the dead during certain times of the year, Halloween included. In Mexico, the Day of the Dead is marked by stories and celebrations honoring deceased loved ones. Similarly, in Japan, the Oban Festival involves storytelling to welcome back ancestral spirits. These global customs highlight the universal fascination with the afterlife and the storytelling traditions that accompany these beliefs. The telling of ghost stories on Halloween satisfies a primal urge deeply embedded in the human psyche. It allows individuals to confront their fears with the safety of a communal setting. Offering a controlled environment to explore the unknown and the supernatural. The thrill of being frightened in an uncontrolled context provides a rush of adrenaline, and the subsequent relief reinforces the enjoyment of the experience. Ghost stories on Halloween serve as a bridge between generations. Did someone say bridge? I love to hang out on the bridges. Not that kind of bridge. Connecting us with our ancestors and the traditions they practiced. By sharing these tales, we participate in a ritual that has been upheld for centuries, fostering a sense of continuity and community. The passing down of ghost stories ensures that the folklore and legends of our culture remain alive, evolving with each retelling. These tales are more than just spine-chilling narratives. They are threads that weave us into the tapestry of our collective past. Through these stories, we confront our deepest fears, honor our cultural heritage, and celebrate the enigmatic allure of the supernatural. As the night falls and the shadows lengthen, the tradition of telling ghost stories continues to captivate our imaginations, reminding us that Halloween is a time not just for treats and tricks, but also for embracing the mysteries that dwell in the dark corners of our world. So this is the point in the show where I would normally begin talking about the main topic, but since that last segment was all about ghost stories, I thought it only fitting to tell you a spine-chilling tale. So I present The Boarded Window by Ambrose Bierce. In 1830, only a few miles away from what is now the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, lay a huge and almost endless forest. The area had a few settlements established by the people of the frontier. Many of them had already left the area for settlements further to the west. But among those remaining was a man who had been one of the first people to arrive there. He lived alone in a house of logs, surrounded on all sides by the great forest. He seemed part of the darkness and silence of the forest, for no one had ever known him to smile or speak an unnecessary word. His simple needs were supplied by the selling or trading of the skin of wild animals in the town. His little log house had a single door, Directly opposite was a window. The window was boarded up. No one could remember a time when it was not. 
and no one knew why it had been closed. It surely was not because of the man's dislike of light and air. Sometimes he could be seen lying in the sun on his doorstep. I imagine there are a few people living today who ever knew the secret of that window. But I am one, as you shall see. The man's name was said to be Murloc. He appeared to be 70 years old, but he was really 50. Something other than the years had been the cause of his aging. His hair and long, full beard were white. His gray, lifeless eyes were sunken. His face was wrinkled. He was tall and thin, with drooping shoulders, like someone with many problems. I never saw him. These details I learned from my grandfather. He told me the man's story when I was a boy. He had known him when living nearby in that early day. One day, Murlock was found in his cabin, dead. It was not a time and a place for medical examiners and newspapers. I suppose it was agreed that he had died from natural causes, or I should have been told and should remember. I only knew that the body was buried near the cabin, next to the burial place of his wife. She had died so many years before him that local tradition noted very little of her existence. That closes the final part of this true story, except for the incident that followed many years later. With a fearless spirit, I went to the place and got close enough to the ruined cabin to throw a stone against it. I ran away to avoid the ghost which every well-informed boy in the area knew haunted the spot. But there is an earlier part to the story, supplied by my grandfather. When Murlock built his cabin, he was young, strong, and full of hope. He had begun the hard work of creating a farm. He kept a gun, a rifle, for hunting to support himself. He had married a young woman, in all ways worthy of his honest love and loyalty. She shared the dangers of life with a willing spirit and a light heart. There is no known record of her name or details about her. They loved each other and were happy. One day, Murlock returned from hunting in a deep part of the forest. He found his wife sick with fever and confusion. There was no doctor or no neighbor within miles. She was in no condition to be left alone while he went to find help. So Murlock tried to take care of his wife and return her to good health. But at the end of the third day, she fell into unconsciousness and died. From what we know about a man like Murlock, we may try to imagine some of the details of the story told by my grandfather. When he was sure she was dead, Murlock had sense enough to remember that the dead must be prepared for burial. He made a mistake now and again while performing this special duty. He did certain things wrong, and others which he did correctly were done over and over again. He was surprised that he did not cry, surprised and a little ashamed. Surely it is unkind not to cry for the dead. Tomorrow, he said out loud, I shall have to make a coffin and dig the grave. 
and then I shall miss her when she is no longer in sight. But now she is dead, of course, but it is all right. It must be all right, somehow. Things cannot be as bad as they seem. He stood over the body of his wife in the disappearing light. He fixed the hair and made finishing touches to the rest. He did all of this without thinking, but with care. And still through his mind ran a feeling that all was right. That he should have her again as before, and everything would be explained. Marlock had no experience in deep sadness. His heart could not contain it at all. His imagination could not understand it. He did not know he was so hard struck. That knowledge would come later and never leave. Deep sadness is an artist of powers that affects people in different ways. To one, it may come like the stroke of an arrow, shocking all the emotions to a sharper life. To another, it comes as the blow of a crushing strike. We may believe Marlock to have been affected that way. Soon after he finished his work, he sank into a chair by the side of the table upon which the body lay. He noted how white his wife's face looked in the deepening darkness. He laid his arms upon the table's edge and dropped his face into them, tearless and very sleepy. At that moment, a long screaming sound came in through the open window. It was like the cry of a lost child in the far deep of the darkening forest. But the man did not move. He heard that unearthly cry upon his failing sense, again and nearer than before. Maybe it was a wild animal, or maybe it was a dream, for Morlock was asleep. Some hours later he awoke, lifted his head from his arms and listened closely. He knew not why. There, in the black darkness by the side of the body, he remembered everything without a shock. He strained his eyes to see. He knew not what. His senses were all alert. His breath was suspended. His blood was still as if to assist in the silence. Who? What had wakened him? And where was it? Suddenly the table shook under his arms. At the same time he heard, or imagined he heard, a light, soft step. And then another. The sounds were as bare feet walking upon the floor. He was afraid beyond power to cry out or move. He waited, waited there in the darkness, through what seemed like centuries of such fear, fear as one may know, but yet live to tell. He tried, but failed to speak the dead woman's name. He tried, but failed to stretch his hands across the table to learn if she was there. His throat was powerless. His arms and hands were like lead. Then, something most frightful happened. It seemed as if a heavy body was thrown against the table with a force that pushed against his chest. At the same time, he heard and felt the fall of something upon the floor. It was so violent a crash that the whole house shook. A fight followed, and a confusion of sounds impossible to describe. Murlock had risen to his feet. Extreme fear had caused him to lose control of his senses. He threw his hands upon the table. Nothing was there. 
There is a point at which fear may turn to insanity, and insanity incites to action. With no definite plan, and acting like a madman, Murloc ran quickly to the wall. He seized his loaded rifle and without aim fired it. The flash of the rifle lit the room with a clear brightness. He saw a huge, fierce panther dragging the dead woman toward the window. The wild animal's teeth were fixed in her throat. Then there was darkness, blacker than before, and silence. When he returned to consciousness, the sun was high, and the forest was filled with the sounds of singing birds. The body lay near the window, where the animal had left it, when frightened away by the light and sound of the rifle. The clothing was ruined. The long hair was in disorder. The arms and legs lay in a careless way, and a pool of blood flowed from the horribly torn throat. The ribbon he had used to tie the wrists was broken. The hands were tightly closed. And between the teeth was a piece of the animal's ear. Now it's time for some music. First up, we've got Night of the Phantom by Isaac Rother and the Phantom. She's My Witch by Eight Brights. Likes to rock to a crazy 
finally, this is John Zappa with the Great Pumpkin Waltz. ghouls and goblins that's gonna do it we have come to a close halloween is just about over i would like to thank each and every one of you that has supported me and listened to the podcast and until april happy halloween